Man, this is the message we need to hear. This is not just our message, but truthfully, this is what defines us. This is our hope. I was talking with somebody, and uh, they, commented, they commented to me how this setup here looks sort of like a game show, like a TV game show, and I, I had a great idea. I'm going to play for you right now. I'm Alex Trebek. We're going to play some Jeopardy. Let's see how smart you are. We're going to utilize our game show stage here, and we are going to play Jeopardy at Home Edition. Yes, that's right. We only have one category. Let's see how much you can win in your family. I know the Vanderwest will be competing hard. I just thank God Mike Shane's not in my family. He's probably already knows what my questions are going to be. But here it is. We're going to have from 100 all the way to 500. It gets harder as we go higher. For the $100 question, oh, by the way, I've got to give you this category, famous, famous deaths from leaders in antiquity. That means people from long ago, famous deaths. How much do you know? So for 100, here's the first question. This ruler died in 37 AD after he was suffocated under a pile of clothes by his son and servant. Do you know who that is? should be very easy. At the time, everybody knew about it. Of course, it was Tiberius Caesar on $100. How many got it? I see that. Yep, Seth, I see your hand raised. All right, question. For $200, this ruler died in 400 B.C. of food poisoning after he was offered pork as worship. The last part should be the key. He was offered pork as worship. Very famous leader. One of the leaders of the big three or big four religions, his name is, who is Siddhartha Gautama? He was the originator of Buddhism. He died as somebody gave him some poisoned pork. Anyhow, Let's go to the $300 question. Darren Nimi, you missed that, so let's continue on. This ruler died in 323 B.C. of alcoholic liver disease. This should be an easy one. should be an easy one. Or possibly typhoid at the young age of 32. Do you know this one? Do you know this one? Bob Ford, do you know this one? I doubt it. I know Anita Nimi knows this one. yes. You're right. Who is Alexander the Great? Two more questions. They should get harder, much harder, because the first three were pretty prominent leaders. These are a little bit more obscure. This ruler died in 30 B.C. of suicide after allowing a poisonous asp, that's a snake, to bite her. It's a female. This is a female pronoun. Do you know who that is? Do you know who that is? Stacy Barenbrock. You're right. Cleopatra. Yes. One more. It's 500. Who is Cleopatra? One more. $500 because this leader is rather obscure. Now I'm giving you a little bit of a hint, but here it is. Are you ready? This ruler died in 33 A.D., a ruler of a small little band, actually. 33 A.D., after a follower of his betrayed him 
and was hung on a cross to die? I know it's a rather obscure question. I wonder if anybody knows this one. I'm sure you all do. You are right. Who is Jesus of Nazareth? I was reading a book and they said, if Jesus has not been raised from the dead, if he had not been raised from the dead, we would never have heard of him. We, we would never have heard of him. All those other people like Alexander the Great, everybody knew him. But we aren't talking about him or Cleopatra really. But who are we talking about today? Jesus of Nazareth. Why? He rose from the dead. If Jesus had not been raised from the dead, it says in 1 Corinthians, we would still be guilty in our sin. We'd be lost. If Jesus had never risen from the dead, our preaching, what I'm doing right now, it's kind of like whistling in the wind. It would be, it'd be useless. It'd be words that float away and they don't mean anything. If Jesus never rose from the dead. If Jesus never rose from the dead, Paul says this is a lie. The whole thing. They all bore false witness. Which again, is a... Uh, it's a sin against the Ten Commandments, against the Decalogue. Jesus rose again. That's our message, and that's our hope. And how do we know He rose again? Because four specific witnesses wrote about it in this book. Over 500 people, according to 1 Corinthians, saw Him, and they were still alive at the time that 1 Corinthians was written. And we have very vivid accounts. So I'd, open, I'd ask you to open up to Matthew 28 as we continue on our study today called Risen. We're going to talk about the resurrection and the importance of the resurrection. So if you can follow along in Matthew 28, I'm going to read from the NLT. It's a very vivid story in the NLT. We're going to go back a little bit to the ESV, but I just want you to listen to the account in the New Living Translation. Matthew 28, 1-17. Early on Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. Suddenly, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone, and sat on it. Could you imagine that? <laughs> a giant angel. They say an angel like in Ezekiel where it says people would shudder. He, he's just, there he is, just sitting on a stone. Rolled it, rolled it away. Rolled it away. His face shone like lightning. And his clothing was as white as snow. The guards shook with fear when they saw him and they, they fell into a dead faint. They were stupefied. What, what's going on? Continues, then the angel spoke to the woman. Don't be afraid, he said. Don't be afraid. I know you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. We talked all about this on Good Friday. But he's not here. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Just as he said he would happen. Don't you remember he talked about it? Come see where his body was laying. And so scholars say the uh, tomb wasn't opened so Jesus could get out. The tomb was opened so they could get in. Come see where his body was laying and now go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen 
from the dead. And he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. And remember what I told you. The women ran quickly from the tomb. They were very frightened, but also filled with great joy. It's kind of how I felt when I first came to Christ. And they rushed to give the disciples the angel's message. And as they went, Jesus met them and greeted them, and they ran to him, grasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. Go tell my brothers to leave for Galilee, and they'll see me there. As the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and told the leading priest what happened. A meeting with the elders was called, and they decided to give the soldiers a large bribe. Here, here's some cash. Don't tell anybody what happened. They told the soldiers, you must say Jesus' disciples came during the night while we were sleeping, and they stole his body, because they didn't want a story of a man walking around who was resurrected. They, they stole the body. Here, here's some money. Keep it quiet. If the governor hears about it, we'll stand up for you so you won't get into trouble. So the guards accepted the bribe, of course, and said what they were told to say. Their story spread widely among the Jews, and they still tell it today because the Jews can't fathom a man who claims to be God who rose again from the dead because they only have, in their mind, God cannot take human form. Then the eleven disciples left for Galilee because Jesus told them to meet him there. Going to the mountain where Jesus told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him. And here's the saddest part. But some of them still doubted. That's the story. That's what we're going to talk about. But I want you to look at verse 6. Verse 6 is where we're going to land on. It's going to be the main crux or the, the main center of our, of our message today. He isn't here. We're going to talk about that. He is risen. We're going to talk about that. Just as he said. He isn't here. He's risen, just as he said. So the first part we're going to talk about is he isn't here. Remember the angels on top of the tomb? The ladies were scared but joyful. He said, come on in. He's not there. He isn't here. He isn't where? Well, he's not in the tomb, but, the, but when you... But later on, he says he's risen from the dead, so he is not in a state of death. To the people at that time, death was terrifying. It's, you know what? It's not as terrifying to us as it was in that day. So where is, he's not here, where is here? In their mind, Jesus went to Sheol, Hades, Gehenna, what, is that? what do those words even mean? Because we need to understand what death was to the first century believer to understand the significance of what Christ being risen from the dead is. We play, we play games with death now. You know, like atheists think it's really cool to, yeah, you just die and you're annihilated, that's it. Oh, is that, that, that's it? Is that really what Scripture says? Is that what God says? It's funny if you talk to an atheist, and somebody they love dies and you do a funeral for them, in the back of their mind, they're hoping that's not it. They just are saying it usually to sound kind of cool. But if you really know what's included in death, what these three words mean, Sheol, Hades, 
Gehenna? Oh boy, we need an answer. So, let's talk about death. By the way, have you ever seen anybody that has risen from the dead? Just wondering. And I'm not talking about Frankenstein or Sophie, uh, Sophia from Walking Dead or even uh, the Avengers, you know, after they got clicked into dust and they came back. Do you know those are movies? Those, <laughs> those are movies. I'm talking about in real life. Have you ever seen anybody walking around who once was dead? No, it's terrifying. Nobody knows what's on the other side. Nobody knows. But in biblical parlance of that day, here's what they thought. Death to them was a realm. Cyrus, one of the early church fathers, said it is a kingdom with walls, with bars, with locks and chains, ruled by a tyrant. So when the angel said he is not here, in their minds they're wondering, where, was, is Jesus relegated to this unseen realm? Romans 5.17 is really interesting. It uh, hints to this idea of a... There's a... Um, it is a it's sort of a kingdom in Romans 5.17. So Paul is talking about how death came from one man, Adam, and how death has carried on to every man. In verse 17, in the NLT it says, For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death, to rule over many. The idea is that, yeah, it, it has now affects everybody, but there's this idea that it has power over everyone. Because Adam let it in, this power of death, we're underneath it. We, are, we succumb to it. It has rule, reigns over us. That's what the ESV says. And so there were three terms that were talked about that are in the Bible. First was the Hebrews' perspective of death, and they called it Sheol. You can go to Psalm 6.5. Psalm 6.5 talks about Sheol. I'm going to ask you to use your Bibles today because I want you to see what Scripture has to say. And you're in your homes. This should be a time when you really ratchet down so you can know. You're never going to have this chance again, this uh, staying in-house. Learn. Learn with your family. Listen to Psalms 6. Five, for the dead, the dead do not remember you. Who can praise you from the grave? So the dead, they are unable truly to worship God from the grave. That's the implication. Here's one more I want you to look at Job. Job is right before the Psalms. Job 7, 9 and 10. Job 7, 9 and 10 says, Giving you time to turn there because my hands are dry and I shouldn't touch my face, but that's okay. Job 7, 9 and 10. Just as a cloud dissipates and vanishes, those who die will not come back. They are gone forever from their home, never to be seen from Again, so you could say Sheol. Both of those words in Psalm and Job use the word Sheol. It's an underworld where all the dead dwell in a shadowy, almost a non-existent existence. 
There was no hope for survival. None. Complete disconnect from their family. So you're separated, not just from your body, but from family. And God was no longer able to connect with you. You can't worship Him from Sheol. Psalm 88 is very clear on this. Psalm 88, 10, and 12. Look at Psalm 88, 10, and 12. This is the most depressing psalm you've ever read. I mean, I often will go into Jared's office and he's reading it crying. Psalm 88, 10 through 12. Are your wonderful deeds of any use to the dead? Do the dead rise up and praise you? Can those in a grave declare your unfailing love? Can they proclaim your faithfulness to the place of destruction? Can the darkness speak of your wonderful deeds? Can anyone in the land of forgetfulness talk about your righteousness? And they're all, no, of course not. The dead is a place that you're lost forever. That's Sheol. It's like a monster that pulls you down and won't let you go. Then you have Hades. Hades is... It started becoming spoken to after pretty much the end of Malachi was written and the Greek thought started permeating more and more of the world. Hades comes from the Greek world of gods. Hades actually was a god. He was a god that ruled the realm of the underworld, but it's different than Sheol. Sheol is misty, it's dark, it's just like the idea is it's a no place. Hades, to the Greek mind is a place that is a fortress with bars and walls and locks and keys ruled by Hades himself. By a cruel Lord who has no compassion. It is once said, over the gates of Hades. Or, I'm sorry, yes, Hades. Over the gates. You imagine those gates are iron gates. Over the gates of Hades is written... No mercy found here. People who go there were lawbreakers. And they are deserving of justice in the underworld. It is said about Hades himself that he is cold, he's stern, no compassion. His job is keeping people locked up. Jesus uses this word in Matthew. Chapter 16, verse 18, talking about the gates of hell won't be able to come over the church. The idea, it is a kingdom. And then he uh, uses it in Revelations 1.18, actually to John, he says, Jesus has the keys to death in Hades. Huh. He's the one that can unlock souls from this realm of the dead where no mercy is allowed. So in this apocryphal period, this is from Malachi to Matthew, there's 400 years of silence, this domain of the dead, known as Hades, started to change from the dead dwell there to the damned dwell there. It's a big difference. The, da- the dead are just those who are forgotten, never remembered. The damned are those who are cursed, who are punished forever. It's a big difference. So it went from Forgotten ones to cursed ones. So Sheol actually is what atheists believe in now, that you just aren't heard from again. But Hades? Hades is a different ballgame. It's a realm you are under as a prisoner where you never stop being punished. This is bad. 
really bad. Revelations 20.14 is very interesting. Revelations 20.14. It's the very end of the world. If you can turn there. It says this. Sea gave up its dead. This is starting in 13, Revelations 20, 13. The sea gave up its dead, and death and the grave gave up their dead. Death and the grave is Sheol and Hades, and all were judged according to their deeds. Then death and the grave, Sheol and Hades, were thrown into the lake of fire. So this realm is recast. And the third word we have here is lake of fire. And lake of fire is our third word that Jesus started using, which is Gehenna. Gehenna. He elaborated on the idea of Hades, but he used Old Testament stories about the Valley of Hymnon where people used to sacrifice human sacrifices and they'd throw it to the Valley of Hymnon where the fire never ceased. The Jews would throw refuse out there. Any idea? It's a valley outside the city of Jerusalem that, oh, the stench. Ah! And then the smoke. And it's different because there, it's the idea it's consuming fire of last judgment. Matthew 5.22, Jesus is the one who starts bringing this whole idea in the mind of the Jew. It's not just Sheol anymore. It's not just Hades, but it somehow... Jesus turned it into eternal fire. Matthew 5.22 Matthew 5.22 says, But I say, if you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. If uh, you call someone an idiot, you are in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you are in danger of the fires of hell. Gehenna. It's also a place for evil to be judged. Jesus says the Pharisees who are hypocrites are the devil, are the sons of hell, and they make their followers twice as much the sons of hell. And then Gehenna is also, it takes on a stage of it just, it's just not punishment. It's not just for the evil, to eradicate evil, but it was designed for the demons, Satan's followers. That's what Matthew says. 2541 says. I want you to look at this so you can understand when the angel tells the ladies he is not here, meaning he is not in Sheol, he's not in Hades, he's not in Gehenna. Look at Matthew 2541. Verse 41 says, The king will return to those on the left and say, Away with you, you cursed one, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. I once heard it put like this. Uh, people say, why would God, why would he make a place like that? Why would he do that? Why would he make, I'll put it right there, Gehenna. Gehenna. And uh, I heard a debate and a guy said, when the United States started forming the 13 colonies, do you think the very first thing they built were prisons? Or did they come later after people rebelled against the law? They were made for the rebel. Gehenna is made for the demonic rebel and those who follow him. So you could wrap all these up and say death's cruel empire, 
which it is. Death is an empire. Death is a realm. Theologians like to say it's a cosmological place. It's a different world. So death's cruel empire implies that death is both a realm and a ruling tyrant. Is Satan a ruler? I don't think Satan is a ruler, but I do think there are some angels that are strangely in charge of it, like Apollyon. I don't understand that. You can find that in Revelation, but there's something about there's a power behind it that rules over people. And if you are not redeemed, it has power over you. And it will always have power over you. I don't know about you. Death's cruel empire to me implies that um, there's really no hope for those who die. There's no hope. <laughs> it also implies who has the strength to withstand death's threat. I mean, honestly, truthfully, for the last two months, the world has actually been kneeling at the throne of its grip. It's terrible. We won't even go outside anymore because we're scared of death. You have people that are so righteous now that don't go out there because you could get that. Well, they're scared. Death's influence is treacherous. It's powerful. And we are so weak. That's why we're in our houses right now. Truthfully. I'll be honest with you. I'm scared of it. Listen to what Hebrews 2, 14 and 15 says. Hebrews 2, 14 and 15. Because God's children are human beings, so the phrase they're human beings made of dirt, frail, made of flesh, made of blood. The Son, capital S, the Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die, could Jesus die, and only by dying could he break what? The power of the devil, the tyrant, who has the power of death. So Satan is given the power of death. I think he's given the power of fear of death. Only in this way could he set free all those who've lived their lives as slaves of the fear of dying. Are you a slave of the fear of dying? I was... Uh, reading a book on how to care for those people who are dying. We've almost turned the miracle in keeping people alive. People said, no, there's a greater miracle than that. What, what's the greater miracle than keeping people alive? Uh, he's risen. He's risen! He is risen indeed. And the implications of that phrase, so the angel said he's not here, meaning he is not under the power of death, He's not in the realm of the dead. He's not in Sheol. He's not suffering the flames because, because he has risen. And do you know what the word risen means? The word risen means he's not forgotten as a shadowy dream in the place of Sheol. It's not a whisper. It's not a wisp of wind that the Father forgot about. It also means he's not chained under lock and key in the land of the damned. He's not left to rot. Acts chapter 2 is incredible. Listen to Acts chapter 2. 
So right after Jesus rose from the dead, Peter went out to preach, and he used Old Testament Scripture. And Peter had a great grasp on death. Acts chapter 2, verses 22 to 28. Listen to what he says, because he's talking here about both Sheol and Hades' effect. And he's saying, people of Israel, listen, listen, listen. God publicly endorsed Jesus the Nazarene by doing powerful miracles, wonders, and signs through him, as you well know. I mean, Jesus, he's amazing. But God knew what would happen. And his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. With the help of lawless Gentiles, you nailed him to the cross and you killed him. But God released him from the horrors of death. God released him from the horrors of death, Sheol, Hades, and raised him back to life where death could not keep him in its grip. Sheol had to let him go. That's the point. King David said this about him. I see that the Lord is always with me. I will not be shaken for he's right beside me. No wonder my heart is glad and my tongue shouts his praises because my body rests in hope. Why? For you did not leave my soul among the dead and you didn't allow the Holy One to rot with the damned in the grave. He didn't rot. He wasn't cursed. There's no curse on him. So risen means he's let go out of Hades. He's let go out of Sheol. And the third thing is he is no longer subject to the tyranny of the dark kingdom, the dark world, the realm of the dead, the power that rules. It's very interesting. When Jesus, right on before the night he was betrayed, he's in the garden actually, it's in Luke, and the disciples said, Jesus, um, are you, are you going to let these guys take you? And he goes, now... Darkness is going to reign. In other words, he's letting darkness take over and they took him to the cross and killed him. But then it says in Colossians 2, 14 and 15, this is so cool, you got to look at it. I'm, I'm trying to teach you, not entertain you. Look at this, Colossians 2, 14 and 15. Derek, I'll wait for you to turn there because I know what you're doing, you're scratching your beard. Turn there, Colossians 2, 14 and 15. Listen to this. Because this is now dealing with Gehenna's issues. Starting 13, Colossians 2.13, you were dead because your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. And God made you alive with Christ for he gave us all our sins. He canceled a record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross in this way. He disarmed the spiritual rulers and authority. They couldn't hold him anymore. <laughs> and he shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. He made fun of the demons when he died on the cross. They thought they were leading him to his execution, but they were leading him to his victory over them because he took away the fear of death by dying. It's un What Jesus did, it's called the great reversal. If you've ever wrestled and the guy thinks you have him, then you reverse him and pin him. That's what happened to the demons at the cross. So Sheol had no grip on him. Hades had no curse on him. And Gehenna had no tyranny over him anymore. So when he was risen, oh my gosh, he was risen. Dear Lord, it was risen. He broke the power of death forever. How is that possible? How is it even possible? It's funny, I was, uh, I was walking uh, down 
uh, to Lincoln, Lincoln Lake or Long Lake Park with my dog. We were walking around. If you go to Long Lake right now, they have this really cool mossy area by the lake. But it's loaded with hundreds of dead acorns. Hundreds of them. And I, I picked them up, and they're dead. I mean, dead. You've seen dead acorns. But then I picked up a couple more, and some are split in half. And then I picked up some more, and some had already started roots, but, but they, started, they started as a dead little acorn. I mean, dead as a doornail. So I was really curious about this. And I called up the resident tree expert. And you should know who that is. His name is Dr. Boyd Kaler. He's got Chris, Christmas Tree Farm. And I asked him how a dead acorn can sprout roots. I asked him. Here's his reply. You can imagine Boyd talking, well, you know, this mystery has confounded and eluded scientists for centuries. And every plant, grain, acorn, wheat, corn, apple, peach, he, he knows his plants, barley, thistles, grass, grapes, maple, birch, walnut, chestnut, there's a spark of energy hidden in the grain which remains dormant until environmental conditions are just right. And when they're just right, they ignite life. I said, what, what, what do you mean? He said the conditions for a dead seed are the right temperature, right moisture, right soil base. You have to have all three. Then you have to have a dormant period, a period where that seed is dead. He says usually it's winter time, but it has to be dead and dry. He said when those conditions are present, then the spark can occur. So then I asked the question, well, where does the spark come from? And he, and he twinkle got in his eyes and he said, now that's the mystery. And he looked that way and that way he goes, I think it's God. When the conditions are right, the spark occurs and life happens. He said what's really interesting is that gravity pulls down the root and the sun pulls up the stalk. He said it's kind of almost like design that way. No matter where the acorn falls, the same thing. Root goes down, stalk goes up. So I was thinking through this. So how is it possible that he is risen. And if you look in John, John 10.18 has something very interesting. I love that train. Oh, do you hear that train? You know what that train is? That long black train. You want to avoid that long black train. But John 10, 17 and 18, from the lips of Jesus himself, here's what he says. Father loves me because I voluntarily sacrifice my life so that I may, and then it's this word 
Some people are worried to take it or receive it or grab it. There's, but it says, so I may take it back again. No one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily. For I have the authority to lay it down when I want to also to take it up again. For this is what my Father has commanded. He has commanded. So there's some question, and the biggest question is around this word authority. How is it possible that Jesus rose from the dead? He has the authority. It's the Greek word which means power and right. Power and right. But it's the second part, the right. And now listen to what one theologian says. Jesus Christ had the right to receive his life back again from the Father. Because that was the agreement God the Father and Jesus had made since Jesus fulfilled the will of the Father. Then the Father was committed to resurrecting His Son, Jesus Christ. He was given the right and the power to receive His life again. Jesus' perfect work was rewarded with resurrection. The Father was pleased by the Son's perfect work. And because of that, he gave Jesus the power to rise up from the grave. And then the, the uh, scholar wants you to look at the very end. For this is what my Father has commanded. This is his commandment. Jesus always submitted to the word of the Father. He trusted it. He submitted to the commandment. And so this commandment means I have the right to receive my life again because that is what my Father has committed Himself to do. it. Since He committed to me and I fulfill His, his will, he has, he has promised to raise me again, giving me back my life after I have fulfilled my responsibilities as Savior of mankind, one writer writes. So you can look at it like this. Boyd said, if I take a seed, it has to have the right conditions. It has to meet them for life to spark. Jesus met the perfect conditions. He was perfect in His person. There was no sin in Him. He was perfect in His performance. He fulfilled the will of the Father to the point where He said, it is finished. And because he had both of those conditions met, God raised him powerfully through the resurrection. He overcame Sheol, Hades, and Gehenna because he met the conditions. It's, inc it's incredible. Because God promised, he commanded it, Jesus believed his Father and fulfilled it obediently, and he received the rewards of his obedience. It's incredible. It's incredible. And then the last thing in Matthew 6 is what we come to is now how it applies to us. We talked about where Jesus wasn't, where Jesus is risen, and now it applies to us. How does verse 6 apply to us? Listen closely. He says, just as he said, he fulfilled it just as he said. Did you know he said more things to us? So if, here's what's happened. The angel goes to Mary, and the angel says to Mary, he, he told you about this, because they're worried. They're like, where is he? And he said, well, he rose from the dead, just as he said. Did you know four times in the book of Matthew, because we've been reading from the book of Matthew's narrative, to bring us to this point. Did you know four times in the book of Matthew, Jesus specifically told his disciples 
that I am going to be handed over, I am going to be killed, and I'm going to rise again on the third day. Matthew 16, 21 to 28. Matthew 17, 22 to 23. Matthew 20, 17 to 19. Matthew 26, 1 to 2. Four times! Four times Jesus predicted it. And so what the angel is saying, just as he said, man, it comes true. So my question then is, if he predicted his resurrection, are there any other predictions he made? Is there anything else he said? Yes. Yes. John 5. John 5 is incredible. Take a look at it. Because he's going to talk about another person's death and another person's resurrection. And he said it. So he said it, and it came true in his life. Do you think it'll come true in our life? That's why we come to church. I, do you think it'll come true in our life that I'll be saved from Sheol, Hades, and Gehenna? I don't want to go to Sheol, Hades, and Gehenna. Go to John 5, 28 and 29. John 5, 28 and 29. Huh. My, it's red letters in my Bible. You know what that means? Just as he said, and here's what he said. And he has given him authority to judge everyone because he's the Son of Man. Don't be surprised. Indeed, the time is coming when all the dead in their graves will hear the voice of God's Son and they will rise again. Those who have done good will rise to experience eternal life and... Uh, those who have continued in evil will rise to experience judgment. So, so there's two implications here. The dead will, all dead will be raised up. All of them. And he's actually referring to Daniel chapter 12. However, you have to ask this. Will you be included to those who are risen up or risen down? He uses a strange condition. You have to meet these conditions. What's the condition? Verse 29. Those who have done good will rise to experience eternal life. So I want to know that. What do I need to do that's good to experience eternal life? What do I need to... Because I'll, I'll start doing it right now. I don't want to go to Sheol. I don't want to go to Hades. I don't want to go to Gehenna. And if this virus gets me, man... It's right on the edge. What do I need that's, to do that's good to meet the conditions that I will rise up? Did you know the next chapter talks about it? Chapter 6 of John? And he's very clear. I mean, as clear as uh, you can ever get. Verse 28 of John 6. His disciples are talking to Jesus and they're talking about right before that gaining God's approval where he'll say you're good. They ask, they said, we want to perform God's works too. What should we do? What do we do? What are those works that are good, that please him, that gain his approval? What are the conditions I have to meet to rise up out of Gehenna and Sheol? What are they? Oh, uh, Jesus told them, this is the only work God wants from you. Do you read what it says? Believe in the one he sent. That's it? Yes, that's it. 
We make everything so complicated. Do you know why that's it? Because you won't take any credit for your resurrection. Because you can't. Jesus did it all. So if you look at that, what are the works that God requires? That you believe in the one he sent. If you don't believe me, go, go to John 1. And he uses that exact same word that I just explained. You know where it said, right, authority, right, power. John 1, verse 12 and 13. And I want to end on this because here's the point of Easter. This is why we get so excited about Easter. Because we want to give you answers for how you escape Sheol, Hades, and Gehenna. How you escape this fear of death. Because we're all going to die someday. I mean, just we are. We're not here to celebrate. I'm going to have a great life on earth. And we will when it's resurrected. So John 1, 12 and 13 is so clear. But to all who believed in Him, believed in the one He sent, just like Jesus said, but to all who believed in Him and accepted Him, accept means I receive Jesus' life in mine. I believe that He went to the cross, was buried for three days and rose again. I accept that. For me, those who believe that and accept that, He gave the right, there's that word, there's that word, the right, the conditions are met. When the conditions are met, when the conditions are met, the spark, boom, the spark appears. He gives me the right, and what's the spark to become children of God? The acorn shoots a root down. My soul, when I believe that Jesus died for me, shoots heavenward a new life. I'm born again. That's why he says, he gave the right to become children of God. They're, not, they're reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from the spark giver, God. So what are the conditions? Very clear. Do you want to escape Sheol? Do you want to escape Hades? Do you want to escape Gehenna? Do you want to be able to say in sheer honesty, he's risen and so am I? Will you be included? Meet the conditions. What's the conditions? If you believe that Jesus actually died for you. Some of you have never, I mean, you've, you've paid it lip service. Like, yeah, I believe it, but you've never embraced it. You've never lived your life for that. And a strange thing happens to you when you believe it. Here's what happened to me. Fear left me. Like, fear left me. Fear of dying left me, actually. Fear of eternal condemnation left me. Fear of being a failure left me. And now I know, I know without a shadow of a doubt, I am His. I am His child because a spark has happened in me. He's risen. He's risen indeed. Let's pray. God, People are listening from their living rooms. Some might be listening on their phone. I actually received, God, a, uh, you know it, you know it, I received an uh, email from somebody really far away who's watching online. And I believe that if they hear your word, this same word, that you have made a promise, that your word does not return void. It's not empty. I believe what that means is the word, just like an acorn, will spark to life. I pray somebody will spark to life. And they'll say, hey, when, when did you become a Christian? 
Coronavirus, 19, man, 2020. That's when I spark to life. If that happens, then it's all worth it. We love you, Father. In Christ's name we pray.